You're listening to Go with Jamarlin Martin. We have a go hard or go home approach as we talk to the leading tech leaders, politicians, and influencers. Let's go. I hope everyone's uh, New Year's off to a good start. This year on the Go Show, we're going to have episodes where we don't have a guest. There's going to be episodes where I have so much to say, so much stuff to cover. Uh, we won't have a guest on the show. Uh, so hopefully you like the the remixed uh, format uh, for this season uh, where sometimes we'll have guests and other times uh, it's just going to be me. You know, let's dive right into some of the stuff that I want to cover. So the first thing is financial markets, uh, you know, and, and trying to understand what's going on because, you know, whether you're an investor or not, I think uh, ultimately it's going to uh, impact most of us in terms of what's about to play out here in the United States and globally. I wrote an article on moguldom.com called the uh, 10-year 300% bull market is over. Uh, essentially, what I'm saying is that, hey, you know, after the financial crisis, the Fed slammed rates down close to zero. The Fed uh, started printing money in what they called quantitative easing or QE. When you hear this term, only thing you need to know is that the Fed is creating money and pushing liquidity into the system. Uh, it's giving money to banks at super cheap rates where the, the Fed injects the money into the bank. The bank has to pay pay it back at super cheap rates. The money is created electronically. And now the banks, the financial institutions can go out there and start buying stuff. So, you know, you get the money at pretty much no cost and I can go buy real estate. I can go buy stocks. I can go buy bonds. I can go buy, you know, all different type uh, flavors of financial assets, venture capital, And so money has been really cheap from low rates and QE or money printing. Okay. Uh, However, 10 years into the bull market, now we have rates going up and uh, we have what's called QT, quantitative tightening. It's the reverse of QE. So if QE helps you on the way up, the money printing helps you on the way up. The Federal Reserve is now doing this in reverse and the market is starting to fill the Federal Reserve taking back support for uh, financial assets. And the market, to me, is screaming to people uh, that this bull market is 10 years in is tired. This bull market is fake. This bull market is going to have a day of reckoning where the idea that the economy is strong. But the market will trade down if you if you normalize rates and if you keep QT going in terms of removing liquidity out the system. Essentially, the market is, is screaming to you that it needs the Federal Reserve to support itself. And, and that's not a healthy, strong economy. I hear folks quoting Warren Buffett and saying, hey, you know, you got to invest for the long term. You got to invest in the long term. Parts of that may be uh, true. However, this stock market is dominated by FANG stocks. It's dominated by high, relatively high PE risky stocks. Most of them are not part of the Warren Buffett thesis. If if that's what you're thinking, like, hey, you know, I need to invest long term and, you know, I'm not going to try to time the market. Uh, uh, But the the issue is uh, that the market 
is dominated by Fang. And the Fang stocks, uh, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Alphabet, they have let the market up and they're and they have let the market down. Essentially, uh, in Q4, the market went down so fast, 20%, that market participants have not seen this speed of decline since the Great Depression. So the market is trading down fast because I believe smart money is realizing that my risk reward ratios are off. Essentially 10 years in after being up 300%, there's not a lot left to gain. So, hey, maybe I can gain a couple of percentage points on the upside uh, over the next couple of years, you know, with these uh, valuations. However, because the market is so fatigued and tired after 10 years, there's very little you can get on the upside. Okay, so so maybe you forecast, hey, maybe I can squeeze an extra 5% out of this bull market 10 years in. But you could lose. If, if, if this bubble, if this economic cycle is going to end like 2008 and 2000, where markets traded down 50%, then, hey, I'm taking 50% or more risk for possibly... Five or ten percent. If I'm looking at the big picture, and so for long-term investors, it doesn't mean you have to sell. It doesn't mean you have to sell everything. Essentially, you know, your investments could go into different gears. Uh, so, in, in an environment where assets uh, look like they're going to trade down and market valuations are uh, high, PE ratios are high. People, you know, have stopped respecting cash flow and profits and they don't care about this stuff at the end of economic cycle so if you're in that environment uh then maybe you change gears in your portfolio and you have a bigger allocation of bonds and and, and gold and cash uh and possibly hard real estate you know i'm not saying that hey it's time to sell everything but you know it's time in terms of where america is going where the global economy is going this thing is going to collapse okay that you're going to see this thing uh most likely trade down very very fast if you have a lot of risks on the table that most likely you're going to get cracked uh 30 possibly 50 percent over the next few years as the new financial crisis begins some people will say hey because the market traded down at the end of the 2000 I would be very uh, diligent in thinking about what environment we're in and how can I downgrade my risk at this stage in the economic cycle. And so, uh, you know, in the article on mogulthem.com, uh, the 300% 10-year bull market is over. Uh, I talk about looking at gold as an investment uh, where uh, in times of crisis, in times of risk off, where, where folks are taking risks off the table, at least smart money is taking risk off the table, uh, that gold, uh, I think, is going to be a very attractive investment. It's not correlated with stocks. Uh, and uh, I think uh, most people should have a piece of gold uh, uh, as an investment. Uh, you know, you can invest in hard gold bars. Or you can invest uh, uh, into the uh, GLD ETF, which holds gold, uh, uh, gold investments, uh, 
that's GLD, and you can start investing uh, for about $150. The bull market is over, and uh, this thing is going to continue to crash down. You saw you know, markets trade down fast, and then it traded up real fast. Does that mean that you know, things are going to go right back? No. That market professionals who have been through boom and bust cycles understand that what's going on right now is a bear market rally. Essentially, a lot of people get short. Uh, markets go to the extreme on the downside. They overshoot. And the bear market rally goes up really fast. Uh, that doesn't mean everything is going to go back and we're going to get fanged up and you know things are going to go up another 30 or 40 percent. Long story short, the bull market is over. Uh, China is rapidly slowing. Uh, Europe is rapidly slowing. And what you're going to see in Q1 the United States is going to start to rapidly slow and it's going to surprise people and everyone and their uncle who are investors. They are fanged up, leveraged long. And so when people start running for the exits and they start to try to get out of this market, you're going to see what we saw in Q4, that, that, that trade down 20%. You're going to, you're going to see more of that. Uh, and of course, uh, Donald Trump with, you know, trade war, government shutdown, you know, he has all this stuff going on at the wrong time. There's too much risk in the market at the same time. So no one thing will crash the market, but everything added up, it's a big risk bomb. Uh, and so, you know, right now, I don't think it's time to get fanged up. I don't think it's time to, you know, take a lot of, uh, put a lot of risks on the table. I would be strongly looking at gold as an investment, you know, for the long term. The next thing I want to touch on is uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She uh, made a lot of press over the last uh, couple of weeks by coming out uh, and saying she advocates for a marginal tax rate of up to 70 percent and you know the the right-wing media who hate her right away they're gonna hate a young woman uh and you know they're, they're definitely gonna hate a young vocal brown woman uh a lot of them uh just by default before you even get started into the socialism that you know there's going to be a high probability of bias against someone banging so hard, going as hard as she goes, being so vocal. Her starting point is she's a young brown woman and she's not scared of them. That she bang harder than a lot of these other Democrats against them. Uh, and that, that shakes up the political establishment, and, and you're seeing this, and you're going to see her most likely become uh, a bigger star on the left. She's not uh, shy about, she's a democratic socialist. Uh, and so what kind of got a lot of folks' attention is that she's saying, let's consider taking marginal tax rates up to 70%. You know, the, the right-wing media, they tried to mischaracterize it put out some misleading stuff but what she was talking about was after the first 10 million of income the income after that 10 million would be taxed uh, up to 70 percent so that's that's important it's not just kind of a blanket 70 percent 
but after the first 10 million of income, the, the tax rate could go up to 70%. Uh, it's essentially tax the wealthy play. And I believe we need higher taxes. Uh, personally, I believe that. Uh, but I have a problem with this. Here, the situation is, hey, you know, there's America has record debt, trillions and trillions of dollars of debt. America is bankrupt. It doesn't have money. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a credit uh, economy. The country is living way beyond its means and has been for a long time. And the country has been printing money. And the Ponzi scheme, you know, has worked. Essentially, we'll print money uh, and we'll be fine uh, until it's not fine. The problem I have with uh, this idea is that if you were to tax Jay-Z or Oprah, for an example, at 70% on the federal level, uh, they still are going to have to pay taxes uh, most likely on uh, state and on the state at the state and city level. Uh, and so the thinking among the socialists is that uh, when they run their spreadsheets and say, hey, you know, we need more money. We're just going to take it from the, the wealthy and take more of their income, uh, you know, 70% and they can worry about state, you know, maybe in California, uh, once the, the state and city, the tax goes up to 80, 85% on their income. In the, the belief or the assumption is it's an, it's an easy fix and you just take the money from here. You know, you just take it from uh, Jay-Z, uh, Oprah, you know, Robert Smith, the, the black billionaire, uh, private equity investor, uh, that you just take it from them, you know, so we'll just get the money from them. So the assumption on the, on the spreadsheet is that once you change the tax policy, all the money, everything stays the, mostly the same. But the problem is that your Oprah, your Jay-Z, your Robert Smith, they would adjust. And so, uh, you know, they're not going to be doing everything the same if their income is taxed federal, state, and city up to 80 90%. If I have to go to work and the U.S. government is taking 80, you know, 70, 80, 90 percent in terms of state and city taxes, those people are so sophisticated, they're not going to stay there. They're not going to keep on doing the same things. Uh, there's also a risk where, you know, where if somebody is able to create something extraordinary and they're able to generate uh, a lot of uh, income. I don't want to work for the government, essentially. So if I'm able to, you know, bust my ass and, and really make a lot of sacrifices and, and, and kind of get lucky, and I'm able to generate a lot of income. If I have to give away 80, 90% federal, state, city taxes, are these people, these entrepreneurs are these people going to stay in the same place are they going to keep working at the same rate are they going to be just as uh productive uh once you start taking eight to nine dollars out of ten out of their their paycheck uh and so 
I think it's unrealistic in terms of the the economics of this. Uh, so, uh, you know, I did not support the, the Trump tax cut, uh, particularly with allowing Google and Apple and Microsoft to kind of bring uh hundreds of billions of dollars cash to the United States tax-free. I do believe that higher taxes uh, are needed in the United States, but uh, going up to 70%, even on a marginal basis, uh, is extreme and I think uh, impractical, meaning that some of these policies you you see politicians talk about, they sound good. They're easy. Hey, let's just take you know, 80, 90% of the income over here and we'll fix these holes. And, you know, the, our calculations is, you know, everything, the foundation is going to stay the same when we start taking 70 to 90% of the income once you factor in other, other taxes. Uh, and uh, uh, that doesn't make sense to me. It's on the extreme side. Uh, but, you know, when I look at talented uh, political leaders like uh, Ocasio-Cortez, that's one issue I don't agree with, but I'm looking at the political uh, leader in aggregate. So she has a lot of other stuff, such as she doesn't want the lobbyist money. That's another thing that scares the establishment. She won't take the foreign interest and lobbyist money. When she speaks, no one owns her. She is an authentic politician. We're the corporate interests. Special interest groups do not control her. She owns her platform. You, when you look at the other corporate Democrats, they can't, they can't say that. They're owned by lobbyists. Whoever the big money that backs them, they got to take care of those people. And so another thing that uh, came up relevant to the Ocasio-Cortez uh, uh, tax policy. Tulsi Gabbard out of Hawaii, a congresswoman uh, out of Hawaii, uh, who's Hindu, the corporate Democrats, uh, the usual suspects on the corporate Democrat side, uh, they started to attack her uh, yesterday. As soon as she announces she's running for president, uh, they're ganging up uh, uh, attacking her, the corporate wing of the Democratic Party. And let me tell you why they're attacking her. One, she is a war veteran. She fought in the Iraq war. She was about that life. She fought in and actually had to see and fight in a war. Uh, and so she doesn't support the Hawks in Washington and their lobbyist friends. She doesn't support Looking at all these countries around the world and looking at who, what leaders you want to remove like a, like a chessboard. She, she is not against, she's not for uh, going into Syria and taking out Assad and, and, and let, let's gamble and see what happens next. Okay. And, you know, another thing uh, they don't like is that. Uh, there was a, a report that Assad used chemical weapons. Uh, she said, wait, you know, we know what happened with Iraq, with Hillary Clinton voting to go and start murdering a lot of 
Iraqis and putting a lot of black and brown troops at risk that a lot of these corporate Democrats, when you start talking about war and, hey, somebody's doing this over there, let's go, let's go. They're very easy to pull that trigger on war. The the regime chain wars. She's not with that stuff. Uh, And so she was looking at, you know, uh, my understanding is that hey let let's wait and and not try to uh overthrow another leader in the middle east where you know if if you get this wrong you're going to be looking at another iraq uh situation another afghanistan situation and the attacks on tulsi gabbard uh, relates to, I believe, though, uh, Ocasio-Cortez tax policy. Because on one hand, if the socialists are, are talking about we want free health care, free education, we want to reduce the military budget in the United States, but we also want reg- regime change wars every couple of years, a third grader can understand that the math does not work on that. So... The corporate Democrats, uh, they love going into wars. Something looks bad over there. Let's get the troops ready and let's go into unlimited wars forever. But the problem is they also want more and more free stuff, free health care, free education, regime change wars. Uh, The message is we can have all of it at the same time and even uh, cut the, the military uh, budget. Uh, and so one of the things they don't like, of course, is Tulsi Gabbard, who has fought in a war, is against regime change wars. Another thing uh, they don't like is in 2004, she made uh, some insensitive comments relating to gay marriage. She made these comments in, in, in 2004. So they're going to attack her and bring those issues back up. Uh, uh, they haven't done it yet, but you can expect that. They're going to go back in 2004, the corporate Democrats and their lobbyist friends. They're going to try to dig up as much dirt as they can and use that against her. So when, when they you know, try to undercut uh, her and you know, her running for president, which I think is good, I, you know, I think it's healthy for America it's good for America to see more women step up and run for president. Uh, but the next thing they're going to attack her on is uh, these comments uh, relating to same-sex uh, marriage. So when they attack her, keep in mind, Barack Obama was against same-sex marriage, particularly in 2004. Uh, he was allowed to evolve in terms of his relationship with the LGBT uh, uh, community. Uh, He was allowed to evolve. When they bring these comments back up from 2004, uh, keep that in mind that how, um, how can you guys, you know, embrace Obama who was against same sex marriage and was, was fundamentally against it. He evolved on that issue. You embrace him, but you want to go attack everyone else who at the same period was against same-sex marriage as well. Uh, So that's one of the issues they're going to try to uh, attack her on. So another one is the prime minister of India, uh, Modi. Uh, He's considered by many to be far right. He's uh, Hindu and 
they take him to task and his political party in terms of their relationship with Muslims uh, in India. 20% of India is Muslim. Tulsi Gabbard is a Hindu. And so she's been friendly uh, with the prime minister of India. And so the corporate Democrats, they say, hey, you know, why are you so friendly with Modi, who we perceive as kind of like the Republican uh, far right guy in India? You know, they have a problem with that. Evaluating, you know, this issue, the first thing that I think about is, why are you giving Tulsi Gabbard a hard time for being friendly uh, with the leader of India, uh, who's also Hindu, her faith? Why are you giving her so much a hard time? You may have valid criticisms, but th at this day and hour, people want to see consistency. And so it doesn't make sense to attack her on being friendly with Modi uh, and his political party uh, in India, but you won't attack U.S. politicians who are crip-walking for Netanyahu uh, in Israel, uh, who most people uh, would consider, the, the not most people, but a lot of people would consider uh, the Donald Trump of Israel, the MAGA of Israel, that Netanyahu is far right. Netanyahu can be counted on banging against the Palestinians like Donald Trump is banging against brown people uh, 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 here in the uh, United States. The corporate Democrats will say that it's okay. For all of our politicians to be very friendly with Netanyahu uh, and praise Netanyahu and the far right in Israel. But we don't want Tulsi Gabbard to be friendly as a Hindu with the Modi political party uh, in India. Uh, and so you see this hypocrisy where the corporate Democrats lack consistency. Uh, you will see them. Uh, it's politically popular to talk all day about Donald Trump and attack Donald Trump. Uh, it's really popular to do that. It's safe to do that uh, within the Democratic Party establishment so that they're going to keep on doing it in the frequency. Uh, and they, sh they should. But the problem is, if you're really about that life, that anti-MAGA life based on your, your values and principles, it shouldn't matter where you see these type of things. Uh, so whether it's in the United States or whether it's in Israel or whether it's in Zimbabwe, if you see thing patterns and things that look similar, uh, you should be against it all. You should be consistent. So the problem I have with corporate Democrats, lobbyist-friendly Democrats, is they're against MAGA and Donald Trump here where it's politically safe. You're not going to lose... Your, your support for banging against Donald Trump, uh, you know, you're going to gain on that front. But when they see Donald Trump type of white supremacy or racism in uh, Palestine against the people of Palestine, you're not going to hear them speaking out against Netanyahu. You will not hear that from a corporate Democrat that the only MAGA they're allowed to be against 
is here in the United States. And I, I think in this day and time, uh, the people want to see consistency. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Go. You could check me out at Jamarla Martin on Twitter and also come check us out at moguldom.com. That's M-O-G-U-L-D-O-M.com. Be sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter. You can get the latest information on crypto, tech, economic empowerment, and politics. Let's go.